Uh, throughout Husker history, there have been significant people, players, coaches, and seasons. Considering all of them, there's one man who stands out from the rest. And what did he do differently? Well, maybe it wasn't him at all, but who he followed that enabled him to lead by a different standard. This morning on the Morning Conversation, we are sharing a conversation that Stan had earlier this year for the premiere episode of the My Bridge Momentum, How He's Building This Leadership Podcast. For his very first episode, Stan chose his former head coach, Tom Osborne. This man truly needs no introduction, but we do hope you enjoy this conversation with Coach Tom Osborne. Well, Coach, thanks for joining us. Good to be on with you. So before we talk about you as a leader and talk about leadership in general, we'd love to talk a little bit about you as a follower, specifically a follower of Jesus. If you can kind of give us quick kind of your faith journey, how you came to know Jesus. I grew up in a uh, Christian home. Actually, my grandfather was a minister, mm. and uh, I went to uh, you know went to church, uh, Sunday school consistently. But I think uh, probably early on, it was more of my faith was that of my family. I went to a fellowship of Christian athletes camp back in 1958, and I, I guess that was where I actually became a Christian in my own right. And ran across a verse of scripture in Matthew said, for whoever was come after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I guess I, I reflected a little bit on my, my own life. It had all been about athletic. Hmm. I kind of think I was in a way trying to save my life through hmm. athletics. That's what I poured most of my time, my attention, my energy into. And I think that just at that particular time, I began to realize that I wasn't going to be able to play athletics forever. <laughs> Sooner or later, the knees and the and the muscles are going to start fading. And so I, I made a commitment uh, at age 20 and never turned back. I uh, mm. wish I could say I've been perfect at it, but uh, <laughs> I've, uh, I've kind of grown along the way. Well, I always like to start with whenever I talk about anything and think about anything is go back to kind of the roots and definitions of words. So as you think about the whole concept of leadership, how would you define leadership? Three general styles of leadership. One is laissez-faire, means it's a French word meaning hands off. It's a an absence of leadership. Hmm. And it's fairly common in politics. And I think the most common type of leadership that uh, people can relate to is called transactional leadership. It's reward and punishment, this for that. If you work hard in the weight room, get better, you'll be moved up to the first team. If you do a good job on this project, we'll give you a promotion or a raise. So everybody's grown up under that system. And, mm. and then the, the third style of leadership is one that uh, I think um, I began to gravitate toward, and that's uh, called transformational leadership, which is also uh, synonymous with servant leadership. I think in Scripture it says, whoever would be the greatest among you must be the servant of all. And I think that's true of a lot of players that I've dealt with as football coach. Um, uh, if they knew that you at least cared enough to listen and mm -hmm. find out a little bit about where where they were. It wasn't all about X's and O's and how, uh, how fast they could run the 40, but uh, have an interpersonal relationship. And mm -hmm. uh, and so I'll finish that, this diatribe by simply saying that uh, I think in, in transformational leadership, uh, 
the the focus isn't on the bottom line, it's on the process. Mm. And if you think about uh, the life of Jesus, it, it wasn't about winning and losing, it was about how you did things and why you did things. The process is what really is important. Transformational leadership will take a group further, faster, farther. How much reflecting on and learning about leadership did you do throughout your life? And how much of it was more just intuitive? Well, I, I think Stan is probably as much intuitive as, you know, I gave this little lecture about transformational and, and transactional and, uh, and uh, laissez-faire leadership. I didn't know anything about those terms. <laughs> I, I, taught, I taught leadership later on right. in graduate school. And, and so and I, didn't, I didn't know those things. But I, I think that um, the, uh, the basic thing is, are, are you able to care about your hmm. the people that are under you? And are you able to register that? Or are they simply pawns on a chessboard that mm-hmm. you're maneuvering primarily for your own good? And uh, and I think that's where, where a matter of faith certainly comes in, because mm-hmm. that's not what we're required to do if you're consistent in your faith. You're there to, you're, it's like the scripture says, whoever would be greatest among you must be the servant of all. And we don't see that a whole lot right now in our culture. It tends to be a little bit more me first. Mm-hmm. And of course, I think that's where things begin to break down. And uh, that causes a lot of the dysfunction that we're seeing around us at the present time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I can totally attest to just the reality of what you're sharing from your own life. I know from a, as a freshman athlete at the university, I still remember very vividly, I think one of the first, I was just coming off a, a leg injury. Um, I coming in that, that I came into into uh, the university with, and I remember stretching on the field and you walking by and calling me by name and asking me a sp- very specifically about my injury that was going on. I'm like, I'm just a freshman guy. Like I, that you knew my name, you know, in my mind, I'm like going, wow, this guy knows my name. He knows what's going on about me and, you know, express genuine care. So, I mean, I'm 58 now. So I have whatever the math is. That was a long time ago, you know, but I've never forgot just that simple show of kindness and care. Who would you say was the best leader that you ever were led by? Well, there's a guy named Woody Varner. Uh, he was the uh, chancellor at the university. And I remember early on in my coaching, we were not very good at beating Oklahoma. <laughs> First five times out, we lost to them. And, uh, and I'd be at home with the lights out and the phone off the hook because people were not happy and and there'd be a knock on the door, and uh, it'd be uh, Woody and his wife, Paula. And, her, you know, he's got a lot of things to do, and he's a university president. And uh, he'd come over and sit down, and he'd say a few things, and always had a great sense of humor. I always felt that uh, that was kind of an example of a guy who didn't have to do that, you know. So I, I always looked up to, to Woody. I thought he was one of the finest leaders I've, I've ever seen. But it's kind of those kind of things that I think that uh, kind of set some leaders apart from others. You know, mm-hmm. they care enough to, to pay attention to the people they're, they're leading. Coach, as you look over your life and career, what would you say was the biggest kind of leadership victory? Not necessarily on the scoreboard in that part of your leadership life, but just in general, feel good and proud about before the Lord. 
Well, it's kind of hard to, to define. Uh, I think probably the when you get right down to it, maybe the most basic uh, leadership issue that anyone has is a, as a parent. Mm. The fact that my children turned out well, and I, I wasn't the best parent because I was working 80, 90 hour weeks. I have to give a lot of the credit to my wife, Nancy. Uh, I think just uh, the fact that family came through all the, the growing up periods and the slings and arrows of, of those issues has been very gratifying to me. And uh, and I think the uh, the fact that I'm sure there's some player out there that doesn't like me at all, but for the most part, uh, uh, my relationship with players, former players, has been good. Mm-hmm. Hardly a week goes by that I don't hear from one or two or three of them, and, uh, and, and that's been gratifying. And so hopefully they, they feel that I was positive influence in their life. So uh, how about your biggest leadership regret? Mm. Uh, I guess early on in my coaching career, you know, I, I followed a very well-known, very successful coach in Bob Manning. And so I, I would say that uh, I, I knew that uh, what the history book was, and the history book was if you followed Bear Bryant or you followed Woody Hayes or whoever, uh, you probably uh, time as a coach was pretty limited. You weren't going to mm-hmm. last long because people are always looking for that other guy, and you're not that other guy. So uh, early on, just uh, as a matter of self-preservation, I would imagine I was probably more transactional as a coach, uh, focused on the bottom line. I think I still cared about the players, and I hopefully it wasn't all transactional. But I know that I, I moved definitely from more transactional early on to transformational later on. And uh, and I don't I don't know that I can say that I regret those early years, but I, I understand the situation because as anybody can tell by looking around, uh, uh, coaching is uh, kind of a precarious position. And a lot of guys don't last very long. And uh, so I, I count uh, kind of great fortune, good fortune. Because uh, those early years, we, we'd go 10 and 2 or 9 and 3, but they, those were seen as bad years because mm-hmm. Danny had won two national championships. And I imagine if uh, Bob had not, been, had not been the athletic director and Woody Varner had not been the president, I might have been given my walking papers to yeah. pretty early on. Uh, I, 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 I would hope I would not have been, but I might have. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, I, I was really lucky to be in one place and coach for 36 years. Because mm. the average Division One coach, I think, lasts in one place about three years. I've known a lot of them that they own three houses. <laughs> they've, they've moved and they can't get rid of houses. So uh, it was very fortunate for my family uh, and me, too, to be able to survive that long in one place. What advice would you give to a young leader that was just starting out, you know, what would be something you'd say, man, if you, as you're starting out in this leadership journey, you'd be a couple pieces of advice I'd give you. Well, I think it's important to be authentic. Uh, don't try to be somebody else, be yourself. And I think it's important that you uh, school yourself in a little bit, uh, understanding that uh, in a leadership position, there will be criticism. There will be demands put upon you that the rank and file person maybe doesn't have. And that just goes with the territory. You know, I, I wanted to be a head coach and I knew that was going to be part of it. 
but I felt I could make more of a difference as a head coach and as a, an assistant. I guess I willingly took on that responsibility and I knew what it was going to be. Okay, now, I'll just give you an example. We, when Bob Devaney came there, he inherited a team that had only won three games the, the year before. And that first year, we went nine and two, went to bowl, and, and nobody could believe it. You know? And then, then we ran off four straight uh, conference championships, beat Oklahoma. Nobody beat Oklahoma for years and years. He was the most popular guy in the state of Nebraska by far. Then in 1967, we had a six and four season. We didn't go to bowl game, didn't win a championship. And there was some grumbling. Five years ago, six and four would have been seen as a really good season. <laughs> but now it's not very good anymore. In the next year, in 68, we went six and four. We lost to Oklahoma down in Norman, 47 to zip, nothing. Mm. And people were really upset. And there were a lot of uh, demands that uh, Bob change his staff and get rid of some assistants. And I was 32 or three at the time with three kids. And Bob got up and he said, if one guy goes, we all go. That kind of ended the conversation. The fact that he was uh, loyal uh, to the people, and he was, uh, that was a very powerful example to me. And also as a powerful example as to how quickly, how quickly things can turn because we went from you know on top of the athletic world, at least in Nebraska, to a bunch of bums. And mm. two years later, we won two national championships, and all of a sudden, we're good coaches again. You know, Coach, obviously, you know that a lot of people see the positive parts of leadership, the upside. And they're not as clear on the downside of leadership a lot of times, right? So just kind of talk about that a little bit. One being just, I'd love to hear you talk about just the sacrifice that the leader has to pay, you know, and specifically the point leader. Well, again, I think particularly if you're um, trying to be a transformational leader, and again, I want to confess that probably at the time I didn't even know the difference between transformational and transactional. There's a leadership style that is primarily do as I say. And uh, and then there's a leadership style of do as I do. You, you lead by example. So I, I knew one coach who was very famous and he'd leave his coaches sitting in the office till 11 or 12 at night. And he'd be home in his living room, you know, listening to classical music or whatever. But it, I always felt that if we we're going to work 80-hour weeks, uh, I better work 85. One of my coaches out recruiting hard, that uh, I better make more more stops than they did. So I think there's a there's a price to it. The thing about about being in a leadership position, you you probably get more more praise than you deserve. You know, like people say, well. Tom Osborne won X number of games. I didn't win that many. I mean, I, I, I was a coach at the time, but I didn't win them. I and mean, if I didn't have good players and good assistants, and on the other hand, a, a leader probably gets more blame off times than they really deserve. When, when things go south, uh, it may not be totally your doing, but uh, you're the figurehead and you're the guy that's going to get shot at. The second thing I want to talk about on the negative side, the hard side of leadership, criticism. I remember when uh, I was a very, very young leader, and uh, I remember the first significant criticism I received that I didn't necessarily think was valid or fair. And it kind of surprised me, honestly, because I was like, wow, like I'm 
I'm just trying to help. I'm just trying to serve. The criticism was, was again, I felt unfair and pretty harsh. And, uh, but I read a book by, uh, Chuck Swindoll, and it was called Hand Me Another Brick. It's old, old book now. I don't know that's even in print anymore. But one of the chapters was on uh, leader and criticism. And he just so normalized it for me. I, it was so helpful to me. I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm not crazy. I didn't do anything necessarily wrong. Not that I didn't do things wrong as leaders, as a leader along the way. But you know, whether or not you do something wrong as a leader, criticism is just part of the leadership experience. Right. So just how did you process that, especially as you started getting that intensely as you stepped into that mantle of head coach leadership and the amount, the intensity of, of criticism that could come at times? How did you process that through? To say that uh, criticism doesn't hurt would probably not be accurate because mm-hmm. if you're human, uh, it, it does hurt. And uh, But I guess as time went on and became more philosophical, I realized that uh, that was it's part of the deal, you know. Right. If you if you games, for the most part, people are gonna be very positive about you. And if you lose a game, particularly one that they uh, felt you should win, uh, uh, you're probably the first guy they're gonna look at. And that's just just part of it. Uh, I think that you know the admonition to pray for your enemies and, uh, and pray for those who criticize you uh, has always been very helpful because. Uh, if you can take the stance of, uh, well, they criticized me, so I'm going to get them back. And mm-hmm. that didn't work very well. <laughs> if you're dealing with the press, you know, you it's hard to win one there. And so, like I said, the best way I could deal with it was simply not to read the sports pages. When I interacted with the press, I think for the most part, uh, I had a good relationship with those guys. I realized they, they had to write so many lines every every day or every week, and they were trying to do their job, and I was trying to do my job. And uh, But uh, there, there's no question that uh, if you're in a leadership position, you you'll eventually field some things that probably aren't completely fair or true that are negative about you and uh, just got to understand that goes with the territory it's easier said than done right part of it yeah i would say you know the leaders up front so they're in full view <laughs> that uh you know you can aim at and take shots at and if you don't want to uh, to experience that then you definitely don't want to be in a position of leadership for sure so, Coach, is there a book that you've read or a, or a leader that you've read their thoughts and writings you most aligned with or would align with? Yeah, there's a book uh, written and it's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. I read that a lot. I remember the, uh, the, the second habit that was mentioned was begin with the end in mind. Yep. And, and that, that particularly struck me because uh, a lot of times the people I was dealing with were athletes sometimes students uh, taught classes and these guys and boys and girls were kind of at a beginning they were going to be making decisions on career education who they were going to marry and so on so often people just kind of bounce through life from one 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 weekend to the next uh, one party to the next one uh, test to the next and they, they really haven't thought through uh, at the end of their life, what's going to be important. And so uh, the, the advice was to uh, write your obituary. And what would, what would you put in there that you thought was really important? Uh, and then he said, uh, then you ought to live your life in such a way that those will be true. Because I think when, you know, I'm 85 now, and 
I'm getting a lot closer to the end mm -hmm. than when I was 20 or 25. And I think it, it would be uh, somewhat disastrous to look back after 85 years or whatever and say, you know, I, I really wish I'd done it different. And I think there will always be some regrets. I mean, nobody lives the perfect life, but right. you can go down a rabbit hole of um, all kinds of things that you chase after that at the end of your life are not going to serve you well at all and uh, break up your family, all, all these things we see around us. Now, there's plenty of good content from this podcast that we just didn't have time to share on the radio today. If you want to go even deeper with Coach Osborne about his thoughts on leadership and hear some great stories from his years as the head coach of the Huskers, you'll want to check out the full podcast as well as our other episodes of How He's Building This, our leadership podcast. You can find all the episodes when you choose podcasts from the menu on your MyBridge radio app.